What a lovely conversation that was with Florence and James Kennedy, founders of Petalon, who run an incredible floristry business. I actually was lucky enough to meet Florence and James back in 2016 when they came to visit me at my home as we filmed a starter advert for Holly.co. And since then, they have gone on to build almost what I feel is a fairy tale business. Now in Cornwall, they're growing their own flowers. And when Florence spoke about her greatest high being the moment that she cut the flowers only this week to put into all of our bouquets and shed a tear, I have to say it was a very emotional moment. It made me realise why building our businesses, living the good lives is so magically important. Make sure you have your tissues. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, Florence. Hello, James. It's so lovely to see your faces. The last time we actually saw each other was back in 2016, I think, in my garden. You were so kind. You came and helped us film our first little mini ad for Holly & Co. And it seems like forever ago. Well, you were so kind because you fed us. (laughs) It was absolutely beautiful. And we didn't have children. And it was like one of those things where you turn up somewhere and people feed you and you don't need to wash up. And you don't need to manage any screaming, tiny people. And you can just really enjoy yourself for the whole time that you're there. It was so, so lovely. And it does feel like a while ago, but at the same time, you've packed so much in. It's just almost like a dream. But, oh my gosh, your Instagram. It is like a dream. I say that when I'm sitting in a tropical hailstorm with thunder and lightning, um, but I like look at your two faces and I'm like, it's meadows and it's flowers and it's Cornwall. Is that a reality? It's meadows and flowers there is, and, there and are, it is Cornwall. There, there are, are days like too. that, but then um, I have actually lost one too many phones being waterlogged. So it's <laughs> in the times where I'm walking the dog in the pouring rain, maybe I don't take those pictures so much because my phone won't work. But yeah, it's obviously a mixed bag. There's also nothing like growing flowers to make you appreciate the value of rain. Yes, Uh, yes. (laughs) Whereas before I would have said that the six weeks of sunshine we had around April this year down in North Cornwall was amazing. This year it felt like um, being in a chain gang. Yeah. Because suddenly our entire field dried up the ground was like concrete and you were there with a pickaxe just trying to get it to accept any water you could get on it. So, you know, it's all relative, I guess. 
when we go back to your story, James, you were in the early stages of building your bicycle company. And Florence, you were working in, as a marketing consultant. You sort of were like, I'm not going to say jealous, but you did look at James sort of loving what he was doing, following his dream. And you thought, I'd like to do that too. Was that your light bulb moment? Yeah, I think it was just, I was really a part of, you know, choosing colours and what the design of the bicycles were. And I mean, it was fun, but it wasn't my dream. You know, it was James's dream. And um, I sort of had that sensation of just like, well, yeah, well, what's my thing? We also had a puppy and it's just like, well, James gets to stay at home, play with a puppy, follow his dream. <laughs> and I just found myself pedaling back from the office as fast as I could. And I managed to get that journey down to 20 minutes. I was like, something not right. And it wasn't a bad job. You know, I liked it. It was just, um, yeah. it's just I knew that something had to change. And I felt like I was constantly like looking for like what that thing would be. James, were you almost realising that this was happening at home? that there was that sort of, I don't know, juxtaposition. It was quite a stark contrast because our lifestyles had gone from being very similar. My my last normal job was quite similar to Florence's. They were actually for vaguely competing companies. So we were kind of used to this, <laughs> used to doing the same thing, having the same sort of gossip and, and that sort of thing. And then changing lifestyle completely in that way, it kind of did highlight the contrast just because of the, the sheerness of the change. We'd always discussed the end game being that we both work for either each other or ourselves. But at that point, I'd started and Florence hadn't quite started yet. So the pressure started to kind of mount, even though I was in the very, very early stages on us to figure out what else we were going to do. Was that the sort of catalyst? For, and where did the idea come from? Because the floristry industry was established. You knew, you obviously, you wanted to do something different. Everything you've done is so, so beautiful. Was it the passion? Was there a passion for floristry? No. And I, I feel quite bad saying that because I have kind of friends who would race to Columbia Road Market every Sunday morning to get, you know, a gorgeous bunch of flowers. And they're like, oh, I must always have fresh flowers. And I just definitely, I mean, I like flowers. Who doesn't like flowers? But it was never, never really a passion. I was in that sort of phase of I was looking sort of like, what's my thing going to be? You know, I was, I was kind of keen to start something. It was my birthday and uh, my boss at the time said oh we've I know it's your birthday but I'm afraid we've got a sales training day like in King's Cross I'm really sorry it's just for the morning and I was like well that's fine James is like look we'll go to King's Cross we'll get some nice breakfast caravan and then like you can go to your training day I was like oh okay that's fine but then he was actually in cahoots with my boss and he got me onto the Eurostar and took me to Paris for my birthday which was so lovely and as a thank you to my boss for lying to me, he bought her a bunch of flowers. And for someone of our means at that time, like for a small gesture of thanks, I mean, there's plenty of like gorgeous florists in London, but a lot of them have minimum spends and I totally understand why. But for someone like James, he was just going to go online, see what there was, send it to Jess, my The second boss. cheapest one. The like second cheapest one, like a fine wine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I saw them on her desk and I felt so bad for him because it didn't really convey his thanks. He doesn't know much, you know, know anything about flowers back then. You know, it was just a thank you. I think that sort of sparked the idea of like, well, how could you do that differently? How could you be that price point 
but actually have nice flowers. You know, it could just be a small bouquet or a small bunch of flowers, but what if they were Mm -hmm. nice flowers? And, you know, if the delivery is a problem, how could we deliver them differently? And I was sort of thinking about it as I was cycling home. And then I got back to our two-bed flat on the Kingsland Road and we just had the first shipment of... 200 bicycle frames that were (laughs) jammed into the second bedroom of this basement flat I was like well that's how we'll deliver them is by bicycle because we've got bicycles I mean I only needed one and I think just because you know James's business had taken a year to set up because you had to design the bikes buy all the parts get them shipped and lots of kind of things whereas mine I only really needed like a laptop we built a trailer for my bicycle I, it was eight weeks, wasn't it, from, yeah. from coming up with the idea to starting? So I told James my idea of like how we could do it. And he would say, oh, yeah, and we could do it like this or like this. And we talked about it all. And then he'd be like, cool. So when are we doing it? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, no, no. Do you want to hand your notice in like on this date? Because I was working in sales. And so I thought, well, if I save up my commission for those weeks, then I should have enough to live on for the next three months. In hindsight, is great, and I should have really saved a lot more because that was not enough. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but the risks were small. So if my if it flopped, then okay, I bought stuff to make a bicycle trailer. I bought some flowers and I bought a laptop. Mm. But like that was my outgoings. Whereas like James's is huge. You know, mm. the, the bicycle mm. parts cost thousands of pounds. So the risk for me was so small that I was like, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just get another job. You know, I wasn't buying a premises. I wasn't renting a premises. I wasn't, there were no big overheads at that time. And when it got to the end of those three months, I'd made 400 pounds. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's amazing, (laughs) but I still can't pay rent and eat. So, you know, even though it felt like a massive win that I had made some money by the third month, it was just, it wasn't enough. And actually it was James's dad that was just like, you need a bit longer. And he gave me some money to just do it for another two months, three months. Yeah, he gave you three grand, yeah. if I remember rightly, which was what we'd saved in the first place as well, because that would allow Florence to live for another three months, and, and that was kind of what it took to nudge it over the edge. What were those early days like? So, James, you had your bicycle business, Kennedy City Bicycles. You were starting out in the florist business. You wanted beautiful bouquets. You were going to obviously use the bikes to deliver them, which is absolutely fantastic, and where assuming the name came from but what were those beginning moments like i mean it was so exciting and new and exhausting and i very physical it was very physical (laughs) yeah so i would get up at 3 a.m to get to the flower market at 4 a.m on your bike on my bike with the trailer to fill up the trailer come back have some breakfast make bouquets in the morning take orders online write out the messages and then wrap up all the bouquets and then at midday that's when same day orders stopped i'd get on my bike and then i'd cycle them around town and then i'd finish work at five o'clock six o'clock it was like over a year of just me doing that i don't think i ever got to the stage where i was burning out but it was like i'm not sure many people would have gone at it like i did and i think it's just because i didn't have any other responsibilities and so i mean i had the dog but I could give it my absolute everything. And um, as soon as James's dad had given us that money, sales started because it sort of spidered. So whoever sent a bunch of flowers to someone, if they liked them, then they would send them to someone else. Mm. So it grew very gradually. And it, 
again, not competing with James, but the businesses were so different for two, when we launched them in the same week. So even though his took a year to set up and mine took eight weeks. Did they you both... plan two launches in the same week? No, it just sort of... No, but at the time we came up with quite a sensible way of looking at it, which was that our philosophy at the time was we'd heard that kind of off-sighted statistic, which probably isn't true, but that 40% of businesses make it out of their first year. So we were like, well, if I understand probability theory right, if you've got two, then that nudge, that nudges you a little bit over 50%. So one of us is going to make it out of the first year, odds on, and then we can just work for the other one. Oh, I love that. And so was it a little competitive in the household? No, it, it honestly never was. I found it quite hard because James had a really beautiful picture taken right at the beginning it was so lovely. The bikes, the bikes were looking good in it. I yeah. was just there. So it got James loads of um, exposure and then he had a pop-up shop as well. So in those first few weeks, James was selling more bicycles than I was flowers. And I was Hang like... Hang on a minute. There's a bit of a price difference here. Exactly. So I, was, I think I found that quite hard. But then because mine was just like a slow burner, obviously people only buy one bike, whereas they'll repeat order flowers. Mm. So they really grew mm. in really different ways. But I did find it really hard in the first few weeks that, you know, of such a higher value product was like flying out. But what, it was flying so, out the yeah, door. So happy because <laughs> the same thing, you know, one of these businesses is going to work. So at least, that, you know, it's working. Touching on the fact that you delivered your bouquets by bike. I mean, firstly, Florence, I can't even cope that you did all those deliveries. You must have been super, super fit. I was a waffer thin at the time. You ate a lot. <laughs> I was going to focus on how much food she ate. It was incredible. It was like living with I an Olympic, like... uh, Olympic medalist. It was crazy. Well, she was. I remember reading that you were quite nervous about this element before you moved about the sort of bicycle delivery service, because of course, you know, the name was inspired by it and what people were going to think, because it was that sort of little USP. Do you mean that you had I thought we were done yeah I was like well that's it so what happened because that wasn't actually the case no so we found this place in Cornwall a couple of years ago it needed loads of work done and a roof put on and all sorts and the the long-term plan was that we'd move down with our children and that we'd keep the studio in London and that we would go up kind of every six weeks or something, check in on stuff, have meetings with um, wedding couples, that kind of thing. I mean, we didn't really ever have a concrete plan. It was just like, well, vaguely something like that will work. And then it's like, well, you can't move to Cornwall and not grow. So maybe we'll grow something. So we rented a field and um, thought, well, maybe we could just send some flowers up to London and they can use them in the bouquet. So that was like the rough plan. <laughs> then COVID happened. And we suddenly, all our staff left. So they went back to their families and different countries that they came from. So suddenly James and I had to be right in the thick of it. And we had a couple of florists who were local and were like, right, well, we know that they just leave the house and they just come here. And because there was no one else, we were all just working every day. When COVID first sort of started, the cyclists would come, because we used to have a kind of a three or four cyclists that would, would do the deliveries mm -hmm. and they come back and then it's like, do you know what? I'm not really comfortable ringing around all these doorbells and I'm like, absolutely fair enough. And I'm not really comfortable with you coming back into the studio because, you know, it was so unknown back that you just didn't, yes. you know, you yes. didn't know. And so we're like, right, no more bicycle deliveries. And I was like, oh my God, we're done. Like the whole reason people use us is because they're same day delivery. Now we're doing everything by post. It will be next day and it's not going to be by bicycle nobody said anything. Everyone's totally understanding. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is weird. 
And then, so we did and that. And you think about all your deliveries that you were doing, yeah. peddling around. And we were getting busier and busier because people were sending flowers to people they couldn't be with. Yes. And so suddenly we were churning out all these postal deliveries, me, James, and... We were churning, we were artfully crafting. <laughs> yeah. um, and then suddenly we'd been doing it for two or three weeks and I was just like, there's absolutely no point us playing for a London postcode. Like, if we're doing it by post, it doesn't need to be here. And then we're just like, also, we don't have any staff. And we, um, we're in that tricky thing where our lease was up on the place we rented in London. This wasn't a second home. It was our only home and we would have been homeless. And so we needed to move, but obviously none of the moving companies were around. So we just had a Luton van each and <laughs> just went across the country in the middle of the night. Oh my and, um, goodness. Yeah. And it was pretty hectic, but um, it had to come down because it needed James and I more than ever. Whereas before where I'd been on maternity leave and stuff, you know, it could have kind of wrong without me. It didn't, you know, I still designed mm-hmm. the bouquets, mm-hmm. but I can do that from a, I can do that from a laptop. Mm-hmm. And then we found some florists down here. It was quite chaotic at the beginning, but um, we just got through it. And that was kind of for May and June. And then we were like, right, how do we grow flowers? And got some polytunnels put in. This is it. So you've gone from a couple that didn't know much about flowers, let's put it that way, right. to now saying, let's let's grow our own flowers. I mean, is that because of your experience? I, I think all of us have these experiences, don't we, in business, that we work something that we don't know, then we slightly succeed. Oh, look, James is actually showing me one of the flowers, I think, that you've grown in your polytunnels. <laughs> no, that's outside. That's one of the outside ones. But, um... but you know, we, we work a muscle and we succeed. And then that gives us the confidence, doesn't it, to do it again? Yeah, there was definitely, I flipped from being this kind of quite, in, not insecure, but just not feeling quite out of my depth to, no, I own this. Like, I got this. Yes. Like, I understand cut flowers. I can do events. I can do weddings. I can do deliveries. Like, I know how to run a flower business now. But... <laughs> I cannot grow flowers. I have killed many flowers in our house. <laughs> we never really had a proper garden, but anything I put in a pot died. We had a nasturtium once that survived. That was you, not me, though. That was me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so there was a definite part of me that's like, oh, I know I can't do this. But there was also the other part of me which was so frustrated at, like, there's always the same cut flowers that are coming up on the auction. They're the same old, same old, same old. And I look, there's so many beautiful ones. There's obviously seasonal ones as well. But I was seeing people growing things on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, I want that. Why can't I get that? Mm. There must, I was like, there must be thousands of other people like me that want to have a big jug of Sahara rudabecchia or these creme brulee flocks or, you know, all these really amazing, beautiful, a lot beige. I like a beige flower. You know, all these interesting varieties, but you can't get them on the flower auction either because they don't really follow trends or because it doesn't really work at a certain scale or whatever reason. So I kind of researched everything that I knew I wanted to plant that I couldn't get through Holland. I was like, there's no point in growing tulips because the tulip bulb for me to buy is and then to grow and, you know, not all of them are going to make it is more expensive than me buying a tulip from Holland right. because yep. they do it at such a scale. They're so good at it. They have every color pattern, shape imaginable, and I can get it delivered 
to me in Cornwall. There's definite things where, you know, but there's so many beautiful tulips that I see that people grow, but, you know, you cut a tulip once and it's done, like that bulb is done. Whereas if you grow anemones or ranunculus, you'll get five stems out of it. So there was so much research like that. And I'm, I won't go into too much detail with, with that, but it's just um, trying to choose what varieties we would grow. And then um, when I had asked florists, you know, any florists in the area, if they could come and help me and found just this magical woman called Claire who has a flower farm just down the road. Kendra Farm Flowers. Yeah. Look them up. She comes once a week. She's just been today and she just guides us and helps us. And even though she's never done it on the scale we're doing it on, she knows her stuff. And, and she answers my stupid questions without making me feel stupid. Yeah. <laughs> We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. So every week we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a whole range of topics, including how to price your product. You need to not put yourself as the customer. You need to love what you do and you need to buy it and you need to think of it from a product development point of view. I want you to be the customer. But when it comes to pricing, I want you to take you out of the equation of what you can afford, what your mother thinks, what your friend thinks, what your husband thinks. And I want you to be quite cold about it. I want you to start with what you need to earn. As I said, if you get this book, it's actually on page 134, right? I write all about this. And I want you to start from that point of view, very, very cold. It's all about facts. The fact of what it costs me to have my clay, to be able to fire up the kiln, to be able to have running water, to be able to have a roof over my head. What is that packaging cost? What has Brexit done to it? These are things out of your control. Also, what's out of your control is the cost of the person who makes it. So you even might maybe take yourself out. We all love a good persona name, don't we? So call it something, you know, Mary. She asked for a lot of money in the first years, isn't she? She's a bit confident. Well, that's fine because you're going to price Mary. And then every year, Mary needs to earn more money as she becomes more of an expert, as her brand becomes more recognized. And I just want you to be quite cold about it and do not give yourself an inch when it comes to this. Then, as Charlotte said, get out there, be confident from day one. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram as we tackle a different area of business. With a continued commitment to empower you, Dell are giving away a tech in a box every week. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co, where you'll also find loads of tangible advice on everything from marketing to brand and HR, all thanks to Dell. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I understand that you crowdfunded for your business. Did that help you make that move or was that more of a brand sort of raise, so raising money to increase your brand awareness? Well, this yes. actually is on my biggest low for the journey. I don't know if you want no, me to don't, go No, 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 no. Sneak preview into your letter. Yeah, okay, we'll wait for that. Let me give a boring answer now and okay. you can do it better later. We um, crowdfunded last spring and sold just under 10% of the business on Crowdcube, 
which was a decision we made to do before we knew that we were bringing the business down to Cornwall. But because of the time that these things take and because mm -hmm. a thing called COVID-19 that kind of kicked in quite quickly at the beginning of last year, the two very much coincided and our, our race was going extremely well. And then COVID happened and it sort of fell off a cliff with us at about... Because I hate, obviously, asking people for money, yeah. but then asking people for money when it's like... Especially during great felt so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so so we were we were at wherever we were at, 70% or something like that. And then that happened. And then we started making all the decisions about coming down to Cornwall and the business like materially changed in our eyes. Yeah. Over the course of about a week or so, once we made that decision to move down to Cornwall, the raise was, had been put on hold as all of their raises had done well they figured out what to do as much as the businesses who were trying to raise funds figured out what to do. And then we decided to just be open about what we were planning to do and go for it anyway. Something had happened in the intervening period because it then we finished really strongly and, and went over our target and all of that sort of thing. And our, our stated aim the whole time with doing crowdfunding was we're a business that's grown organically. We think we're getting to the point at which we're probably not going to grow organically that much more. And this is to fund marketing we'd never we've still have never paid for marketing or advertising in the course of the business mm -hmm. um and this is to do that basically we want to raise money pretty much exclusively to advertise and to help us to spread to have a more of a customer base outside london and the demographics we haven't always been um so prominent in and yeah it went well and we and we and we reached our target and we got those funds and we still haven't spent that money because um, COVID itself obviously led to a bit of growth for us moving down here and, and diversifying what we sell slightly has led to growth as well. I think we're kind of just doing a better job maybe than we were 18 months ago when we decided to do that raise anyway. So we still have that money and we will still do some advertising at some point, although we keep putting it off. But a load of things kind of coincided that have led to the business growing anyway. Um, and we still have that to kind of take us to the next stage when we're ready. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm interested also, Florence, to hear from your side of things because I know it's not easy. But these things can happen, can't they, Jason? Like businesses can just shift in twelve months. You don't necessarily with the wind. You know, who would have predicted what would have happened to your business? And that at the same time you're raising, and actually maybe you didn't need to raise. And there's great hindsight, isn't there? That you're thinking, oh, I, we didn't need to do that. But then everything could have been the other way around as well. But when you talk about marketing, I was saying this before we started recording, that your email that we get is the most loved email in our office. We get squeals of delight. Uh, you know, the two choices of bouquet each week and the names that you give them. And <laughs> or when Bake Off was on, you would pick between the Prue Leaf or the Hollywood Handshake. And <laughs> it's just brilliantly done. It shows you, doesn't it? And I think that we try and do this at Holly & Co. Try and do something really well and try and not spread yourself too thin. You know, sometimes, you know, I came out of a meeting and I was just like, right, we just need to stop doing it. We're not doing it well. We're stressing ourselves out. Really, is it going to change the dial? Probably not. But if we did this exceptionally well, maybe we could actually reach the target that we were hoping with that other thing mm. in that one stream. What's your viewpoint? And do you know that your emails are good? Ah. <laughs> well, we take great pride in our bunch names, it'd be fair to say. You know, we have to yeah, come up with... They are absolute team. We have to come up with 104 every year. So, you know, it is a, it's, a fair old, it's a fair old effort. This week, we've got Baywatch and Miami Vice. And actually, when you look at the two bouquets, the colour the color palettes are 
absolutely perfect for those two things. You've had Ursula and Ariel. Yeah. You've had uh, Featherington and Whistledown. Yeah, I mean, they are just the best. <laughs> they can be. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a rite of, rite of passage for any new staff to get a pair of name suggestions on the on the roster for that week. <laughs> but what you so the newsletters are something we've always taken great pride in, I think, because we receive so many crap ones yeah just as normal people like we all do like all the time gdpr was one of the best things that um ever happened as far as i'm concerned and people yeah. it being harder for people to pepper you with unsolicited emails the whole time but but it still seems to happen somehow um but uh <laughs> but in terms of what you say about you know having the ability to pivot with that sort of thing i think it is it is really important and we've had ideas over the last few years that we've tried to put into action that haven't worked out and then we've had our most recent product our field flowers which has and holding on to those ideas for as long as is appropriate is a very tricky thing to do and hindsight is a beautiful thing and all that uh, and it's tempting to beat yourself in, up in retrospect when one of them doesn't work but if one of them doesn't work then you are by definition trying stuff so i i try to remind myself of that fact whenever we do have something like that and you're like this is a good idea why aren't people why aren't people buying it yeah but being able to then go okay that's all right there's something we don't understand about this that we haven't seen and we need to accept that and and put our energy into something else tell me about field flowers for those who don't know florence tell you about field flowers so the original plan when we started growing was i was like wow we can just put one stem of whatever crop has just blooming in the bouquets that week so you know i was growing enough that i thought would fit into the bouquets but because i've never grown flowers before i i mean i think i just naively thought they'd all just spring up at the same time and i'd be able to cut them you know for the three deliveries that we have that week from holland we would just cut for three times that week from the field um but the reality is that you kind of have that curve where at the beginning there's a few little stems and then you have a flush and then there's some at the end. I was like, well, what do I, I say a few at the beginning, there's like 50 odd stems there. It's like, okay, but I actually need a hundred. So I can't use them. So then what happens to those? And then I was getting so stressed when, you know, a mouse would eat half a tray of seedlings or, you know, the slugs would attack something. And I was just like, oh my God, I haven't got the numbers. I haven't my got numbers. My numbers are off. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just a knee-jerk reaction to that was like, I'm never going to be able to predict how busy we are in a certain week, six months in advance. Like I'm never going to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah. It was actually just a knee-jerk reaction of like, for a company that prides itself on not wasting flowers, we cannot waste them. And also I worked so hard on them yes. that the thought of them not going anywhere was like just soul destroying. So um, yeah, the field flowers was basically just a knee-jerk reaction to not bad planning, but just not understanding how it all works really. Um, and actually, I think it's much nicer to have it as a clear, separate thing. Like, these are from the field, these are imported. I haven't told them what it is yet. Well, what is? What field flowers is. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> then the field flowers are flowers from our field. Um, and so, um, yeah, so we harvest three times a week. I wanted it to kind of be a bit like a chef special board where whatever's available will be on there. And whereas with our other bouquets, because we know we have stock coming in throughout the week, you can order a bunch you know today you can order one for saturday mm -hmm. but with the field flowers i wanted to be like no it's it's you can send it to arrive tomorrow or maybe the next day but no longer because I'll, it needs to be cut gone cut gone yeah and it to sort of 
yeah, to, to be that kind of fast paced product that it should be, you know, they shouldn't be sat in an auction house in Holland for a week. They shouldn't be, you know, I don't know. It is so romantic when you think, and it is, it's so beautiful. As, as you know, we've, well, we just talk about it all the time in the office and it's just a lovely thing. A lot of what we absorb nowadays is through Instagram. And we've already touched on that sort of, you know, firstly, what an amazing tool is it for us oh my God, small businesses free. with no, <laughs> no, mar- yeah, I mean, no marketing budget. How phenomenal. There's a sense with your, what I see on Instagram for you guys is that, you know, you've got your little ones, you've moved to Cornwall, you are living this life. And no, of course, it's not all joyous. Is this what you had always planned for? And is that something that you like to share with us? with other people about almost maybe inspiring them that they could do this as well? I feel like for a brand, the kind of point of Instagram is to show the people behind that brand and a bit of a story behind the business you might be buying a product off or whatever it is. And there are loads of accounts that are raw and real and there's definitely a place for that. With our account, it's still my shop. Mm. People are still buying from it. So even though I try and be transparent and I will show when I have murdered 600 zinnias. I, zinnias every, are a flower, sorry. just to be clear for anyone listening. Um, I, to be worried. I think everyone's boundary with how much personal life or how much of their business they want to, behind the scenes they want to share, everyone's line is in a different place. Mm. And I think it's important to remember as a viewer of someone's account, remember it's an Instagram account. It is not entirely real life it is snapshots of real life and it works both ways i have had horrendous nights here where the wind has been so strong james and i have been out in the field in the middle of the night pinning down kind of polythene that we're trying to keep something warm outside that's freezing to death my phone would be waterlogged yeah. if I got it out to be like, oh, and, and also who's that for? Mm. You know, why are we trying mm. to celebrate losses as well? Like, you know, these things do happen. And then equally, there are some moments that are so magical. I'm like, I'm not going to put this on Instagram because it's smug. Like, this is so beautiful. It's smug. You've got to find your place. I mean, find your place that you recently included. James, I think you um, had a little accident with a, a fire. Is that right? And, and, and I set myself on fire. Yeah. Yes, that, that was shit. I mean, that was that was interesting. How, how did that go? It would have been hard not to not to share that because I look like the Michelin. Michelin but it was too painful to share at the time. So I didn't share that until the end of the year once he had functionality back. But James was in hospital for two weeks and I was changing bedpans oh for two my. weeks because James couldn't get up from lying to sitting. It was brutal. Plymouth Derriford Hospital, thanks again. Appreciate your help. This is just what the NHS needed last year yeah. was, was an idiot. Yeah. That was what they so, needed. That you was know, what they needed. At, the, at the time, it's like I'm dealing with it as best I can. But, you know, James missed our kid's first birthday. He was in hospital and it was a really rough time. But You did share a story the week afterwards of me being an idiot. I think I was like hobbling around in the field using a spade as a crutch and you like losing my patience. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we saw, wasn't it? It yeah, was It was to do with the bonfire, was it? Yeah, we, we pulled up a load of tree stumps from around the back of this place that were trying to eat their way underneath one of the barns and they were sort of mostly dead anyway. But they're soaking wet and um, I'm uh, impatient and so I was trying to burn them before they were ready and I used slightly too much assistance and then a combination of a uh, poor appreciation of physics and chemistry at the same time led to me getting a bit on fire yes. but uh it's all right i've got fresh legs now 
and um, they're struggling to deal with the sunshine in May. So, God, they're going to be in real trouble by by the time the Cornish summer hits properly. But uh, but yeah, like stuff like that. So I talked about that a bit on my Instagram, and I was quite open about like the consequences and and as I said, probably not what the NHS needed at the time. So, I mean, I think you can do it in an honest but fairly irreverent way. The point isn't to bring people down, it's actually just to be, you know, fairly open about that. And I think Florence and I would both like to think that we reference our mistakes on there as well. Because that's more interesting, if you ask me. Like, the people at the moment are following our journey into growing flowers we're just a pair of idiots trying to grow flowers like you know mm. we don't know mm. neither of us has any education in in that area or any particular mm. knowledge so i like to think we're making most of the mistakes that other people would be making if they were trying to do it too so i hope that that's relevant and i hope that people see that and are like oh cool and find it enabling as well as informative i think it is you know i think it's so so important and one of the main things i'll take away from this conversation and i hope those listening is that you do not have to be an expert, that you can follow a passion. The passion doesn't have to be instantly obvious. Tell me this good life that you are living. It's obviously yourselves and your little ones. I mean, how do you have two kids, a Great Dane, live in Cornwall? Do you have a team behind you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you can't do it without the tribe. But also... I am a bit overwhelmed, if I'm honest. So when mm-hmm. people say, how do you do it? It's like, yeah, I really struggle. It's tiring. But I, yeah, you say it's tiring. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it tiring. Yeah. I know, kids go to bed. I'm on my laptop. Yep. You know, I wake up. So tomorrow I'm starting work at 6am. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I think every mother has guilt at some level. And, you know, I could, of course, spend more time with my children. But couldn't we all if we're working mums and I think that whenever you're at work you feel like a bad mum and whenever you're with your children if you have a business or what you know you feel like you're doing a bad job with work and I'm just trying really hard to just release myself of that guilt and just recognize that I don't ever want my children to think when oh mummy has to go to work no mummy goes to work and that is a good thing because women haven't always been able to make that choice and we're building something here. So, you know, I want to get them involved. Maybe when Osh is a bit older because he's just... He's bad with seeds, very bad with seeds. Careless, I would say. (laughs) But, you know, it's... um, I can't do it all. I have, you know, I have people that work for me. You know, they, they don't necessarily want their faces on my Instagram the whole time, but they're there. You know, I have three members of customer service who do two days a week each and they work remotely from Suffolk, Carmarthenshire... And Anglesey. Because we're terrible at it. And Dorset, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, but also because I outsource customer service because I live and work here. I can't have bad vibes here if there are, you know, of course there's going to be complaints for dealing with a perishable product. Mm. But that sticks with me because I care so much. So yeah. I don't want it here because I don't think that's healthy. So, yeah. you know, there are decisions that we've made along the way. And we, we have a real range of people. Some people are full-time, some people are part-time. And... Yeah, you just you can't you can't do it on your own. There's no there's no magic pill with that sort of thing. No. Like people, you know, we we work hard, but we've chosen to do what we're doing. So I think our aspiration has always been not to lead a kind of necessarily a life of leisure, but to make sure that we are spending as much of our time as possible doing what we've chosen to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean the most fun thing to do at that time. I planted 700 yeah. delphinium plants this weekend and I'd say I did 90% of that in the rain. And and that isn't while I'm doing it. That's not joyous, but it's something I get a nice feeling 
from afterwards in terms of the kind of sense of achievement and being able to look at them. They're going to be in the ground out there for at least three years. So I think I'm going to get a lot back from that. Yes. But it meant that Floss had both the kids for a few hours each day while I was doing it. And those trade-offs are constant and they don't go anywhere unless you're lucky enough to have live in everything <laughs> cook nanny whatever yes, else yes you know yeah. then, then then you are going to have to make the choices and economize and, and look after each other in that sense and we're lucky because we work together so i was going to ask about your your role between the two of you mm. how do you break it down i'm uh, the services manager i'm like a janitor <laughs> do janitors cook i cook uh, <laughs> i cook i clean um what do i do we we are equal parents in terms of childcare and we have been since since the beginning it's something we always wanted to do and we've gone quite a long way out of our way to make sure it happens because we think it's important for us in the mm. way that we want them to see things but it means that we spend an equal amount of time working as well and that is in different things it plays to different strengths you know Florence is obviously amazing at what she does in terms of designing bouquets and that sort of thing whereas you know, I spent yesterday building a giant fridge. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, we have different skills and mine and Florence's happen to run down fairly conventional gender lines, but that's okay too. Yeah. You know, it ties in with how we want to spend our days. And then days like today, up until we had this conversation in the mid-afternoon, we spent the whole morning and lunchtime together out in the field planting flowers and planting seedlings and looking after stuff together in what was mostly sunshine, actually. You know, so we do get that extra time that other people maybe don't get. So although we have our evenings together and we do have to work sometimes after the kids go to bed, we get to work together in a way that is pleasant as well, as opposed to the other thing. I know what you mean though as well, because actually if you're building something that you love and it's growing, it's quite a bonding thing. Whatever state of tiredness that you're in, you're doing it together and it's a journey like no other. I don't think we don't have arguments. <laughs> we have some arguments, but there's nothing like literally sharing the same experience to build empathy. I think, you know, it's, it's yes. much easier yes. to empathise with the other person's working life when it is the same as yours. Are you listening to this week's incredible founder dreaming of starting your own business but don't quite know where to start? Then my book was written for you. Do What You Love, Love What You Do is the ultimate small business bible, providing you with guidance, support and insights I wish I'd had 20 years ago at the start of my business journey. Think of me as your virtual mentor, guiding you along your journey as if I was sitting right next to you, holding your hand, recounting my own fears, failures and lessons to help you succeed on your own path. Do what you love, love what you do is out now. Head to holly.co slash book to buy your copy today. me it's coming up to a year anniversary is this right if you being in Cornwall just Last passed week. it Last yeah. Week, yeah. I just passed yeah. it um what are your plans for the future before we go on to your highs and lows grow some more, more stuff yeah do more yeah. we do more things grow yeah. more stuff we're we're about to have our first kind of at the end of our first proper spring so there's a lot of stuff going in the ground now there's a lot of things we're doing now that will pay off over the next three six months two years even, quite a lot of it. So we're still in that phase, but by the end of this year, we will. it will be the um, the end of the beginning. This year was basically our training wheels, and I feel mm. like we've got a better understanding of how certain things work. And, yeah. you know, and now that we know that the product is field flowers, whereas we didn't when we started sowing seeds, I think that's 
that's going to change the way we can put our all into the way that we do that it's exciting there's there's loads of exciting stuff to come but it's more of a known variable than it was obviously this time last year and that's nice that was the right time for that then and that was very exciting having that unknown but i think we're really excited about what we know is coming over the next year oh i just such a pleasure as you know i end this um podcast by asking um, you to share your greatest highs and lows because, you know, what we do here is like being on an epic roller coaster. I'm sure that yours would be just full of beautiful field flowers and Florence, you'd have flowers in your hair and James, flowers (laughs) in your beard. But um, tell me, what would you say has been one of your biggest lows? Yeah, okay. That's your biggest low. So we sort of touched on it a bit earlier. So it was a couple of summers ago I was quite heavily pregnant with Oshan, our second kid. The business was hemorrhaging money. So we had set all the processes and people in place to be bigger, but we just didn't have the sales to match. And I don't know what the past tense of wing it is, but we had just yes. we had wung it wung as it. far as I, I feel that we could. And I, I didn't want any stress or anger or worry to go into our baby that was in my tummy. So I kind of just sort of stepped away slightly from the business. And that's when we made the decision to do crowdfunding because we'd had offers for investment before and a really lovely lady who worked in an investment company talked us through the different options of angel investors or investment companies. And because we have such a lovely community of customers that crowdfunding was the best thing for us. But that to me felt like the last ditch attempt. I was like, I thought that I was losing petal on just as I was having a baby and everything that I'd put my like all into for like those years was just about to go. And I didn't have like the space to get like emotional about it because I needed to be like happy for the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Oh. I'll do mine while Florence recovers. <laughs> Um, my, yeah, my biggest low would have been, uh, April last year, I would say, uh, kind of at the start of when COVID was arriving, but people didn't really know what it meant. And I think the immediate assumption on my part, wrongly, it turned out was that things were going to fall apart with this business. We had another business as well when we were in London, where we ran a wedding, wedding venue in shoot location. That did fall apart, as you might imagine, in under something like that. But that was always secondary for us. So although that was financially very consequential, it wasn't emotionally as troublesome as losing Petalon would have been. Mm-hmm. And it didn't last very long. It was probably only a week or so where I kind of felt like that was what was coming down the track. And then the evidence started to suggest that actually we might be okay. We were just going to have to work very hard for quite a long time. The, that sensation, especially when you were losing the other businesses as well at the same time, was very um, sobering. It wasn't like there was any particular moment where I was really upset. It was just kind of I felt lethargic. I felt very like mm-hmm. this is out of actually out of, this feels out of my control. And I'm never particularly good at admitting that anything is out of my control. But it's certainly the evidence at the time was suggesting that unless I had a vaccine up my sleeve, it probably was out of my control. Yeah. And there wasn't going to be much I could do about that for various reasons. We were unlucky in terms of falling between the cracks in terms of government grants for both businesses and that sort of thing. So it was humbling, I think we've had saying it's a sensation that's going to stay with me for quite a long time, which, you know, as is traditional in these sorts of stories, it's a it's a negative that will become a positive because it does it does give you perspective. And yes. if you, all you have is relentless, gentle success, then you're probably not going to appreciate that very much. So it is it's perspective giving in that way. 
You ready for your high or are you still... Uh, yeah, this next phase, I'm such a crybaby. I'm so sorry. You know what? It's super... It, this is the thing, what, you know, those who may be listening who are going to start a business, this is the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is your all. It is your baby inside of you. It is your, it's everything that you've given. It's every single time that you were delivering flowers, Florence, you know, from for 12 hours a day. And I don't think people understand it. Like I've got shivers now just even speaking about it. What you give mm. your business, what you give it is, it's like a being. And so when you think about it failing, you're grieving before it's even, it's all very real. And yeah. I think that that's what gives you the highs, which are remarkable. <laughs> but the lows are, you know, they're not for the faint-hearted. It was also, I didn't, I couldn't give myself the space to grieve about it because I yeah. was trying to remain upbeat and fine because I, yeah. I you know, I yeah. didn't want the kid in my tummy to be having a rubbish time, <laughs> yeah. So tell me about when the wind's in your hair. Okay, so for my strengths... Oh, high. Yeah, high. my high, sorry, not strength, high. It sounds, it's now, actually. It's this week, because, <laughs> like, I can't describe. Well, you're going to set me off, actually. I now. know. <laughs> but it, it's just, um, yeah, we've worked so hard physically on this place. And then this week to walk down to the field at 6 a.m., cut some flowers, condition them, bunch them up, put them online and then people across the country have bought them and then we send them in the post like what I know. Oh. <laughs> and you know it's just um I kind of it's like a real pinch me thing because um I couldn't grow flowers this time last year and the snapdragons that we have grown are so beautiful and the seed that I sowed for them were like dust. I was like, how on earth are you meant to put one piece of <laughs> dust in each cell of a cell tray? I couldn't understand how that would ever work. When they were in their cell tray, they were so miserable. They were sulking. I was like, oh, these plants are not doing very well. I put them in the ground and like, you just wouldn't know. You look at them now and they are just like a sea of rockets. Just, They're wicked. They are wicked. <laughs> and to grow something that you're proud of, that people want to buy and actually know that journey from that you know sowing that seed to actually it being on someone's mantelpiece in Birmingham or wherever it might end up is I just love it oh and oh gosh and James yourself um our first day working down here so my father and I had been down for two weeks uh beforehand getting the barn opposite our house into a good enough shape for people to be able to spend a day in and we sort of just about made it in time without sleeping very much and kind of work camping. And then I, I was still up a ladder kind of wiring the lights in while people were starting to condition flowers beneath us and kind of thinking, oh, bloody hell, we've actually pulled this off. This is going to happen in time. And these kind of disparate pieces of a jigsaw are actually going to slot together. And one way or another, you know, I wasn't under any massive illusions that we were suddenly headed for constant paradise, but mm. it was more like, okay, we're going to, one way or another, we're going to be able to actually do this and, and take this thing down here and, and bring it with us into the kind of next stage of our lives. Um, mm. But that was, yeah, that was amazing. Normally, I'm not set off before the <laughs> last But now, well, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not able to quite cope with this image of your, yeah, how proud you must be. And the fact that both your happiest 
highest moments are now-ish, this period of time in your life. And what a lovely thing for you both. Right, well, so that I can't lose it before the letters... Um, you know, it is that time and uh, it's just been glorious. What a glorious thing to spend time with you both and for you to be so generous and honest with us all. It's really appreciated. And it's that time where I'm going to hand over to both of you. I know that you both don't know what each other have actually written. And we're going to start with you, James, if that's OK. But thank you very much for sharing a piece of your soul with us today. OK. I've written it in letter format. You'll be pleased to hear. Dear James, how are you? Good, I hope. I'll start with an apology. I know you find letters annoying, but it's okay for some things to be slow to make you stop and concentrate on one thing for a little while, you hyperactive young man. You're 21. I considered writing this to 16-year-old James, but he would have thrown it in the bin without reading it in a pointless attempt at rebellion. So you're stuck with this unsolicited advice, which I know you love. Wear sunscreen. Just kidding. It's a good song, though. (laughs) Serious stuff now. There's five. Five points. One, hold your plans lightly. They'll change a lot. That doesn't mean they aren't good plans. They're great plans. It's just that you'll change. The world will change more than you know. And the feedback you get from rubbing up against them in the real world will mean you'll want to be flexible. Two, give time freely to your friends, but guard it jealously from jobs or hobbies that would monopolize it. Everyone is more than their job. You'll meet people over the next few years whose self-esteem is inextricably linked to their work and therefore to those who manage or employ them. You'll also see what that can do to people. It isn't nice. Three, nobody knows what they're doing. I know that right now it's all intimidating, but jobs are more about jargon than you'd think. Once you see things from the inside, it's really all quite mundane. The same rules tend to apply. Work hard, be conscientious and treat people with respect and you'll be fine. Four, it's okay that you're bad at working for people. Don't get me wrong, it's annoying for them, but it isn't really a fault. It's just a sign that you might want to go and do your own thing sooner rather than later, but you'll find out about that soon enough. Five, most importantly, be deliberate in your actions, acknowledge inconvenient truths, don't allow yourself to drift into what you know is wrong, even if it is only by inaction. You are what you walk past. All the best, you. P.S. Keep an eye out for a girl called Florence this summer. She'll be the one with the amazing eyes and the boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely, James. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And over to you, Florence. Okay, mine's a bit more. It's quite hard to do it with someone because I've seen that his is just on his phone and mine is reams of pages. Anyway. You should have soaked it in tea and put it in the oven first as well. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, you've just had your 26th birthday and have that stomach-wrenching feeling that miraculously you still don't feel like a grown-up. Well, I know I'm only eight years older than you, but I'm pretty sure you never feel like a grown-up. I don't think mum feels like a grown-up and I'm not sure Bomma feels like a grown-up either and she's knocking on 90. So stop being so hard on yourself. You are consumed by a crippling fear of making the wrong choices, of being lost and not knowing what careers exist, let alone which ones you should pursue. You've lost your passions and you don't have any hobbies or interests. Stop asking yourself, who am I meant to be? What am I supposed to do? You think that everyone understands something you don't, but the reality is that everyone is muddling through their own individual paths. 
They might be powering through a signposted career in law and know exactly where they're going to be in five years' time, only to get there and hate it. So in the wise words of Baz Luhrmann, don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Believe in what you're capable of. You never think you're good enough. You are not the silly little girl that you seem so sure you are. You have grit, you have determination, and you're full of good ideas. I'm not sure where you lost that confidence in yourself, but this guy James you've just moved in with seems to think you're great. He's pushing you to make a move because he sees what you don't see. And any day now, you're going to tell him an idea you've had for a flower delivery business, and he is going to be the cheerleader you didn't know you needed. The beginning of that business will be bumpy, and the silly little girl feeling will overpower you more than ever before. You'll be shaking as you ride your bike and homemade trailer into a flower market car park at 4am. It feels like the traders and florists are curling their lips or laughing as you fumble with the bike lock. Maybe they were. They probably weren't. But you need to try not to care. You've got to try harder not to care what other people think so much. Luckily for you, you have stubbornness in spades and that will propel you through this phase of feeling so pathetic. You haven't had passion for something in a long time. You don't have hobbies and the guilt of not pursuing the violin aches so much that you've stopped listening to all classical music. Enough. That music took you somewhere otherworldly where you were shrouded in an orchestra and you need to smile at the memories of that instead of the guilt of not playing anymore. The fact that you're not as good as you used to be makes you so upset that you won't play at all. And that's a real shame. Relax. Do not let the pursuit of perfect get in the way of something good. If that all feels a bit painful, then know that you're about to develop a new passion that hasn't let up for eight years. The flowers are going to infiltrate every thought, dream and idea you've had from here on in. Okay, so I can tell you now that you're still not nailed hobbies at 34, but you found a calling and it drives you and it educates you and opens your eyes to a whole new world. It will push you to do things differently and take you down paths you couldn't begin to imagine. You're at a real crossroads with your tribe. There is definitely a part of you that is waiting for someone else to figure out your path for you. You're getting too old to keep asking your parents to validate your decisions. They don't have the answers to this. It's not their area of expertise and, well, they have their own lives. And you need to live yours and it's time to let them watch from the sidelines and cheer you on. But you're not on your own. James will push you on when you think you can't do it and will stay up late with you figuring out problem after problem. You'll be pretty taken aback at the friends and family that will root for you. But take note of those that aren't interested in the successes, but are quick to console your losses. It might be time to think about the people you want to surround yourself with. The James you have now is excitable and unstoppable, and it's infectious, so soak it up because it will feed you for years to come. He will become your scaffolding, giving you the freedom to grow, but always supporting and protecting you whilst he finds his own way too. So remember that when you're ratty with him about something that really isn't important. He will give his whole self over to help you realise your dreams and you will grow together in a way you didn't quite picture married couples could. There will be dizzying highs and crashing lows over the next few years. You can't have one without the other, but know that you are not that silly little girl. You will find your calling and be surrounded by those that are rooting so fiercely for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't cried in ages. <laughs> You know what's so beautiful is that 
why I asked you to come to that supper that we did in my garden. You know, your journey is just, it's one that's going to inspire so many people and it's so soulfully beautiful. Oh. You know, I can see you guys in 20 years time doing this and being so happy and going through the journey, but it's, you're going to pick all the golden nuggets out of it. And I know that you're both going to celebrate it and that you have each other and it's going to be quite magnificent. Oh, thanks, Holly. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. That was a really beautiful letter. And I'm just going to absolutely have a really big cry after this as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Oh, my gosh. My goodness. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today and for all the lessons everyone would have learned by listening. And um, we wish you everything. Oh, thank you very much. Holly, thank you so much for having us on. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.